Hello, folks. Welcome to the Solar Fit Renewable Energy Show. Bill Gallagher again with you this morning, and I'm going to give you the weather report. I'm looking out the window. It's a little bit cloudy out there. And I understand that we're going to have temperatures down around 19 degrees this weekend, so bundle up. We're coming to you from Daytona Beach, Florida, our studio in beautiful Daytona Beach, but it is cold, cold, cold. So, you know, hopefully uh, you'll... You'll hunker down and get ready for this. I want to give a a shout-out to my friends at Daytona Dodge Chrysler Jeep Ram for their loyal support uh, in the race to stop suicide. And also Mr. Daniel Dye, who will be driving this year in the Craftsman Truck Series uh, coming up here in February. We cannot wait. We're all so excited to see what's going to happen at Daytona International Speedway. Speedway. So if you have a chance, come by and visit us. We've got a very special guest that actually stopped by our studio today, popped in for an interview, and that's Miss Kim Shatner. Kim, welcome to the show. Hi. Very, very glad you could make it. Thank you. You came all the way down from the great city of Palm Coast, Florida. Yes. How was the ride? Oh, very easy. <laughs> for the bad or all? No, not at all. Well, well, thank you so much for coming on. Kim is going to share some information with us that I think we'll all find uh helpful and if you've listened in over the past 14 years you know that we we focus on renewable energy uh, sustainable lifestyles healthy living we love interviewing entrepreneurs and i'll tell you i think kim is a little bit of all of that that she shared a little bit of story with me uh to start with but kim tell us a little bit about where you grew up and how you ended up down here in beautiful florida so um, my mom was actually raised in Florida, but I was born in Lawton, Oklahoma. Um, I have an older sister. She was born in California, and then my younger sister and I were both born in Oklahoma. Um, cool fact is that I'm half Comanche Indian on my dad's side, so I was born on the Comanche Indian Reservation Hospital. Um, we lived in Oklahoma until... And I'm not exactly what sure the age was, but I knew I was going into third grade when we moved to Jacksonville, Florida. And uh, I think a part of that was my dad, um, he was incarcerated uh, in Oklahoma and he was getting close to getting released. And I never really talked to my mom about it, but I think that she just needed a fresh start. And my grandmother had a house on the west side of Jacksonville, Murray Hill area, and we moved into there. And then a year later, um, my dad was released and came to Florida. So um, we moved around a lot in Jacksonville. You know, when my dad came home, um, we moved to Orange Park, Florida, where we lived just shy of a year. And then things did not work out with my mom and my dad, and um, we ended up moving back into Jacksonville. And, um, you know, I don't really, I remember like when my dad and my mom were around, it was a little bit, well, mainly when my dad was around, it was a little bit chaotic. Um, You know, he was also an addict, and so, um, and I, I just don't think that he knew of any other way to live. You know, um, I was more fortunate when, you know, and I know this is going to sound silly, but when my addiction caught up with me and I was in prison, they offered us, you know, 12-step groups. I was in a therapeutic community with, uh, you know, recovery, and um, I learned a lot. 
And I just don't know if that was the case for when he was in prison. So, you know, he went back to the same people, places and things that got him in trouble in the first place. Well, you, you've really, you've got a really interesting life story and you've been through a lot. And of course, uh, one of the reasons that we're, we're together here today is, is the, the use of drugs has become so pervasive with the fentanyl coming across the border and, you know, the lethal, um, the lethal potential it has for our young kids, not even our young kids, for kids of every age, people of every age. But uh, Kim's going to share with us today uh, an amazing story of, of what she went through and how she prospered out the other side of this and she's helping more and more people every day and i i thank you for that kim it's really it's just is amazing really thank you so talk about a little bit when you you came down here and you got involved and uh i, I guess what everyone would be thinking about right now is okay how would somebody get involved in drugs there's a lot of different ways right talk about that a little bit so um for me i think Initially, I liked the way they made me feel. You know, I was a little bit, I was a shy person. Um, I would have one friend at a time. You know, I just, I didn't do well in like big social settings. You know, I was really fortunate because I, you know, I was in dance. My childhood best friend, her grandmother owned a dance studio and I was, you know, I was lucky to get connected with them and be able to take dance classes. And like those girls in my dance class were kind of my friends, but like I really was, I almost want to say codependent on my, my one childhood friend. Um, and that seems to be a pattern in my life, like just not really fitting in, not really like knowing what to say or just how to be. And, uh, and when I, you know, my first experience with, uh, drugs, you know, was, was completely innocent because, you know, I would just get really bad cramps. My mom would say, here, take this. It'll make you feel better. And, oh yeah, it definitely did make me feel better. And all of those, um, like anxiety and those feelings of being different kind of slipped away. And then it just, you know, escalated. Um, I found, you know, we moved to uh, the intercoastal area of Jacksonville. And um, and the people I hung out with would drink and smoke pot. And one thing I did notice, though, is that, like, when I drank, I drank till I either threw up or blacked out. Like, I never knew when to stop. Or the same with weed. I would just get, I would smoke so much weed. I would, you know, get the munchies, eat, and then go to sleep. I just, I did not have a stop button. Um, my, it, and it just, I noticed that. Like, not in the moment, but like looking back, that was one of the things that I noticed. I just, I had no stop button, you know. So for kids today or for parents listening in with kids today, um, as we move through this story, we'll find out that it really is not good that this happened, correct? I mean, just, it's just, just not good. And we, we want to make sure that the, that the listening audience knows that uh, there is some relief for this. And this and Kim and her, and her team is going to tell you how to do it. But at, at what point did it become 
overwhelming to the point where okay, uh, maybe the the uh, the authorities became involved. So, um, you know, I probably I think I was about thirty years old, and um, my at this point I was married. I had two kids, um, and. I just couldn't stop using drugs. And um, my mom had my children. Their dad and I were just trying to get by on the day-to-day. He decided that he was done, and he came back to Jacksonville, and I was in Panama City. And I met this guy, and um, and he had a Ph.D. in synthetic chemistry. <laughs> And I said, why are we buying this stuff when you probably can make it? And we did some research, and we started making methamphetamines. And eventually our house got raided. And that was my first interaction with the police. But because I wasn't at the house, they didn't charge me. And, uh, or they it was a whole process, but I wasn't convicted. I no no nothing happened to me. But with my addictive brain it made me think that I was untouchable. Oh boy. And uh and I go back to my husband, we have our kids now, we're living and I go and I get a job at like a really popular sports bar. And after work, everyone would have a drink, you know, to unwind after our shift. But I couldn't stop. And then I would not, you know, I'd go out after work. It just, so my husband got tired of it. And um, one day I went to work and I didn't come home for a couple of days. And I moved to North Carolina back to the guy I was with in Panama City and we went back doing the same things cooking meth and then our house got raided again well this time there were consequences you ever see the movie Breaking Bad yes it's kind of funny we're living it yeah I know my it's funny because my I'm I'm remarried now and my husband likes to call me Jesse Pinkman all the time (laughs) he's like okay Jesse Pinkman well that's that is an amazing story. So okay, so now now the authorities are involved, and they they uh, kind of frown on that, right? Yes, right. absolutely. Okay. And it would, do you know what's crazy is the whole time I'm sitting in jail on these drug charges, not once did I think that I was an addict. I said if they hadn't have done this or if this person hadn't have done that, I wouldn't be sitting here right now. So like that's how just this disease that tells me I don't have a disease and it's everyone else's fault, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I just never wanted, I didn't even know what they meant, like be accountable, take responsibility. I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't understand. Oh but, um, so, um, I ended up, they actually gave me probation on my charges, and then I could not stay clean through probation, and I violated my parole, my probation, and they put me in prison. So I went to prison. Um, I did a total of almost two years on my first sentence, and then I got out of prison, and a month to the day of getting released from prison the first time, I got arrested again on the same charges. Wow. Yeah. I'm hard headed. 
Okay. But looking back, that actually was a blessing in disguise because I went, you know, I went back to prison. Um, I still, I knew the game. I, I was getting drugs smuggled in through the mail. Like, I had no desire to ever want to stop. Like, I like the way that make me feel. I'm comfortable with these consequences. Like, I had become institutionalized. And... Um, when I say a blessing in disguise is because the father of my children, my husband, uh, he also struggled with mental health and addiction issues. And, um, and November 15th, he decided that he just couldn't, you know, I mean, this guy was a, you know, amazing athlete, six foot five, 275 pounds, played football for university of North Carolina on a full scholarship. And, um, you know, had every, uh, you know, a car when he was 16, his family, you know, were wealthy, lived in a gated community, um, you know, and he still suffered with addiction. And, you know, his mom, he texted his mom for the last time and it said, hopeless, I don't have my kids, I'm a failure, and he decided that his best recourse would be to ride his bike in the oncoming traffic, and he didn't survive. So I feel like if I hadn't have been in prison when that had happened, I would either have been right alongside him, or because I had no coping skills, I would have used hard drugs to deal with that. Oh, Kim, that's a that's an amazing story. So, folks, you know we're almost uh, up to time. We're going to take a short break. When we come back. We're going to find out the end of the story and what Kim has done to turn her life around. Stay with us. We'll be right back. If somebody knocks on your door or a telemarketer's on your phone, you know it's not us. Hi, folks. This is Bill Gallagher with SolarFit. If you've been thinking about solar, we want you to knock on our door or call us. SolarFit's been a part of this community for over 47 years, and our customers love us. Couldn't say it if it wasn't true. Now's the time to go solar for your home or business. Give us a call at 445-7606. SolarFit your life and set yourself free with the sun's free energy. Hi, folks. Bill Gallagher with the Solar Fit Renewable Energy Show. Welcome back. I'm talking to my Kim, my friend Kim Shatner. Kim, the first part of this story was like absolutely amazing. And I know everyone's sitting on the edge of their seats. They might be in their car seat. If they are, don't let go of the wheel, okay? Because this is an amazing story. So, as desperate as it sounds at this point, now you're sitting in your cell, and all of a sudden you have a revelation. Talk about that. So I realized that my kids, my son and my daughter, were having to go through all of this, the loss of their father, their mother being locked up, they're with their grandma, and they're in so much pain, but they are still having to deal with that pain, you know, without any type of substance, continue to go to school. Of course, I took some time off to grieve and do the funeral and everything like that, but they had to get back with their life. And I had read it in a book somewhere that it said to lose one parent is a tragedy, but to lose both is carelessness. And that light bulb went off and I decided I absolutely have got to do something different. 
And my journey took me back to Florida. I was in prison in North Carolina. Um, I started going to 12-step meetings. I got a sponsor. Um, I started with her, started just dealing with basically my entire life (laughs) and how to heal from that and how to look at, you know, patterns and mistakes and and it's been like probably the biggest gift I've given to myself and to my family and to my community. And in this journey, I was able to work at a treatment facility and I got, you know, this treatment facility was uh, intertwined with our Flagler County Drug Court and it was where they received their treatment for their substance abuse disorder. And um, I met Mr. Fellbauer, who had a foundation, the Hope Foundation, that helped support drug court clients to do the things that the court can't do, like pay for their GEDs, um, any outside treatment, car repairs, uh, loans, you know, if they have to pay an extra deposit on a house for a rental, because you can't recover if you don't know where you're going to sleep at night. And... Um, We've also have a um, a Monday night group that talks about spiritual principles and how it applies to our life and in our recovery. And um, anyone is welcome to this group. It's not. It was originally started for the drug court men, but then it through COVID it evolved, and now it's evolved even more to anyone who is trying to see like you know I identify my higher power as God and Jesus. But sometimes I know people come in, I've met people that are like, I just, I feel so insignificant, like, you know, or God doesn't love me or doesn't care for me because of all these bad things that have happened in my life. And, uh, and we're just, you know, kind of opening the door up to them and saying, like, you may feel that way now, but like, let's give you some information so you can maybe reassess your, your decision, you know, and, you know, let us love you like God loves us. You know, you got to almost think that someone that goes into the, the treatment program and with someone like you talking to them, they would have the feeling like, well, it's easy for you. You didn't have to go through this, right? But they don't realize that you did go through it. Do you ever share some of that information with them? Um, I'm, you know, I don't live anonymously everywhere. You know, I wear, you know, I'm a member of Narcotics Anonymous. I have Narcotics Anonymous t-shirts. I wear a lot of clothes and people ask me about it and I share my story with them. I have key tags on my keychain that say, you know, have my clean time on them. Um, but sometimes people are just like, I can't, you know, the same thing They're like, you've been through so much, you know, I mean, I have scars from when I, my, you know, my suicide attempts and, um, and they're like, I've had people at work, like grab my wrist and they're like, I got, that was a very dark time in my life. Mm-hmm. But I, it's, but I see the light now. Wow. You know, it, it, thinking back in your situation, it, it may have been different if you hadn't maybe taken that first pill or followed it up, right? You, you've got to be kind of thinking about that. But there's so many other ways that drugs can come into play. I mean, somebody has to have a, a knee replacement mm-hmm. or maybe the shoulder injury and they're given some medication and they go, well, you know what? Gosh, it feels a lot better if I do that. It's just they, they're not conscious of what's happening. Is that possible? Absolutely. I knew a girl that was a cheerleader, had her, her knee and had to have like knee surgery. She had torn something like an ACL or something like that. 
And um, and that's honestly, that's what happened to Ryan, my first husband. Um, he had a, a football injury and, you know, because the N, wait, NCAA is like, they're no joke about drug tests. And then he hurt his knee and started with, you know, the pain meds and it just escalated from there. So I know a lot of people that are like, you know, I'm 40 years old and I didn't get, you know, I wasn't out, you know, smoking crack or shooting heroin, but my doctor was my first dealer, mm-hmm. you know, and then they realized that like, oh, they like the way it makes them feel, it gives them energy and, you know, th- they don't think about the setback that the injury had given them. And next thing you know, like they're calling their doctor because they ran on their prescription, you know, before it was time to get a refill or there are no more refills and they panic. So, yes, that's a very common occurrence. So what can happen in a case like that is, is again, the authorities get involved and maybe they're incarcerated for a minor offense. But once they're in there, there's that, you know, you got to get out of there and you got to be you've got to be able to resume your life. And that's kind of what you guys are doing. Right. Talk about that. So I think, you know, when you're made to sit down, especially in a jail or a treatment facility, um, you think about all the things that you have got to get done and you have to do them yesterday. So what we're trying to do is saying like, yes, those things are important, but like you don't have to go through it alone. We are, you know, I'm a, I think that fellowship with people that have like-minded, uh, you know, want to recover. Um, the, it's very th- therapeutic to have, you know, one addict helping another addict succeed. And uh, so that's, you know, um, I always make myself available to anyone in the court system, you know, especially the drug court. I go into the jail once a month to carry meetings in there. And I let people know, like, you you. You have a lot to do when you get out, but don't let what you have to get done take you back to these people, places, and things in these situations. Yeah. So do you find that the people that are coming out of the system, if you will, are more like you, or are they more likely to kind of teeter a little bit, or what are you thinking? Um. You know, uh, I I really can't put a statistic on it, like how many people, you know, because I'm a believer that any day clean is a successful day. And so like to say, oh, you know, everyone, not everyone does get their family back. You know, some people lose their kids to DCF in the system. Like, I don't want to give like false hope or false promises. But um, I have seen so many people, you know, change their lives. And, you know, and and the wake-up call was the court systems. And um, and sadly, I've seen people lose their lives. And, you know, the court system wasn't enough of a wake-up call. Well, I just, I just think what you're doing is so, uh, is so incredible and it's such a, a service to the people that, really want to go out and learn from it but I, I i can't help you know keep thinking about these people that are that are coming across the border and all these drugs that are infiltrating our area it's just like gosh you know how do we put a stop to that and how do you recognize that and are they some of the people that are showing up in your program so i think education 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 i don't think it's um 
too soon, if a child can read and write and comprehend, then you can start having these talks with them. You know, don't wait until they're 13, 12, 13, because it's happening earlier now. Like, you know, kids are getting their hands on drugs and weapons at an earlier age. But if, you know, um, I feel like if we educate them earlier and if we see kids that are, um, you know, in at-risk situations, you know, a lot of kids being raised by, you know, family members other than their parents, like, you know, spend a little extra time with them. You know, uh, I do, you know, I have met some people that were trafficking drugs for the cartel, and um, I've seen them, you know, be able to turn their life around, and that's amazing. Like, you see these people, some of them are big and scary with tattoos head to toe, and to hear them talk about how grateful they are for the life they have and the connection with their higher power, um, you know, and the, and the bonds that they've been able to rebuild with their family or their community is like, that's one of the greatest gifts. And, wh- and what do they do from that point on? I mean, are they, do you, you guys help somewhat even with the hiring process? Like, uh, let's suppose there's a company that, that was looking for workers and you had some people that had graduated from your program and they're kind of rock solid and can, can you help them some way? I mean, I know that the people that are, and I can speak for Mr. Felbauer and myself and probably Mr. D in the drug court that would write letters of recommendation. Um, Mr. Felbauer has so many amazing connections within our community that I know if someone is looking for a job or if someone is looking to hire within the community, you know, we try to keep those connections good and strong. So we say, I know someone that needs a job or can you take a look at this person if you're hiring? You know, I think that'd be very helpful because everyone, everyone in our area is hiring, right? Yes. And everyone's looking for good people. And uh, it, it sounds like when they graduate from your program, they're, they're probably ready to go, right? They want to get out there and make, yes. make a new, uh, make a new life. Yeah, I mean, there have been a lot of um, businesses in, in Flagler County that have, um, you know, really worked with a lot of the drug court participants because when they get into phase, I believe it's phase three, they actually either have to be going to school or have a job. But they still have all their drug court requirements. They have to make certain um, a number of 12-step meetings attend or attend church. Um, they have their... Uh, groups at the treatment facility so like they need they need employers that are going to work around that schedule because the drug court schedule is it's non-negotiable you have to complete it right well rick staley and uh, and all of the the folks up there do a tremendous job and i have to believe that that's not normal in all circumstances so if you could go to other cities and other counties and they're just they don't have the connection that uh, that they do in flagler county it's amazing yeah i'm very excited for they have the smart um program and the flagler county gel which is a you know uh basically a, it's an inpatient inmate patient <laughs> Uh, recovery group and um, I know some of the people that work and run that program and I look at their recovery and the way they live life and I just think of it as nothing but a, an asset to our community. Gosh, that, that is that is amazing. So what do you see the next step, Kim? What's the next chapter of your life? Just keep on keeping on? 
Um, you know, I just want to continue to have a safe place. You know, my kids are in college now. My son just got married in November. Congratulations. Um, but they're both in college. I just want to be able to, you know, if they say, hey, I'm going to come home, that, you know, they're not coming home to, you know, a dope house. <laughs> well, they have a lot to be uh, yeah. happy for with their mom. She's done a great job in, in the community. But, I, uh, you know, I... I, I I think, and Mike's an incredible guy too. Yes, he, he's been on the show a couple, oh gosh, two or three weeks ago, and I wish he was here. I think he's out there someplace, probably driving around trying to find us again. I don't know. He's busy. Well, we, um, the opioid task force, which members of that are also members of the Hope Foundation, and we have been championing to get Narcan, which is an opioid mm-hmm. reversal drug, into the schools. And today, the I think it was on the docket to be voted about oh, or something. So Mike really wanted to be there for that. To yeah, it's a very important, very important thing. And yeah, it's in the news now all the time. You hear about. Uh, you know the the multiple uses of Narcan, not just for for drug. I mean, they're using it for other things too, right? No, Narcan is specifically for opioid oh, re- reversal. So, like if someone is overdosing from any type of opioid, whether it be mm-hmm. a Lorotab all the way to fentanyl, their wow. life can be saved. I was saved by fentanyl. If it wasn't, for, I mean, not fentanyl, Narcan. If it yeah. wasn't for Narcan, oh. I definitely would not be sitting here right now. Well, I know there's talk about trying to get it in more police cars and fire trucks and ambulances and stuff like that because it is a lifesaver. Yes. Wow. Well, Kim, I can't believe it. We're out of time. I want to thank you very much for coming in. This has really been an interesting and, and fun experience meeting you. Thank you. Thank you. My Just pleasure. Keep up the good work. Kim Shatner's with us, folks. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, if you have any questions, you can contact us uh, either on our email address or our website or whatever, and this will be um, available on our podcast too, so please tune in. If you have any questions, give us a call. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Kim. Thank you. Solar Fit Renewable Energy Radio Show paid for by SolarFit. 